for his new kingdom. A lot of rebuilding to do. And here's Daniel in the middle of a reconstruction project with the dust of change blowing everywhere around him. But Daniel isn't sitting there reading a big bunch of blueprints. No, he's not. He's instead captured studying God's design for the future of Israel. He was reading Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was one of his contemporaries. And he knows his time up. The 70 years is almost up. But he also is concerned that the people haven't come back to God. And he's worried that God might just leave them there. Let's pick this up. Daniel 9, 1. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, who became king of the Babylonians. And that was by Cyrus, who was a Persian. And this is, by the way, the date for you historians is 539 B.C., well documented in secular history. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned, circle that word learned, from reading the word of the Lord. I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. In other words, in the shambles. For 70 years. Very specific, 70 years. Not 69, 70. Now the prophet Jeremiah had already predicted another prediction. We saw the writing on the wall, short-term prediction. This one was 70 years before prediction. This was going to happen. Jeremiah had predicted that God would not allow the captives to return to their land for 70 years. And you can read about that in, Dan- in Jeremiah 25, 11. You can, if you want to go and look at it later. And chapter 12 and verses 29 and 10. Now Daniel knew this prophecy and he'd realized the 70 year period is coming to an end. So let's this morning have a look and read what Daniel was actually reading when it says he was reading the word of the Lord. And by the way, the more you fill your mind with the word of God, and the more you memorize it, the more you will pray in line with God's will. Because God's will is never contradicted by God's word. But if you're ignorant of God's word, you won't even know how or what to pray. Let's, oh, by the way, just one other thing I want to say this to you, and I put it on this slide. I want to reset. Sometimes we have to reset or recalibrate our minds. And I want to recalibrate our minds on the word prayer because it's pregnant with meaning. But I want to recalibrate one aspect of it, and it's this. Prayer should not be seen as a means of getting God to do our will on earth, but rather as a means of getting God's will done on earth. Big difference. Prayer is predominantly God-oriented, not self-oriented. So one day, Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah. Here's what he was reading. Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Literally 70 years. By the way, the plain sense is a normal sense in the Word of of God, unless a context tells you otherwise. Whenever you're reading Scripture, the plain sense is the main sense, and the main sense is the plain sense. Don't try and typify things and 
allegorize things unless the context demands that. This does not. It is exactly 70 years. But after the 70 years, then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the proper context of that verse. Says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Who is he speaking to? The children of Israel. In those days, and then we stop. We stop right there. Another big mistake when we're reading scriptures. Read things in context. What does it say next? Most important. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. Again, we're all familiar with that verse, but we often leave out the last part and forget about the praying. It's called cherry picking. Very easy to do as Christians. Good disciples don't cherry pick. They study the word of God in context. There's a great book at the back over there, How to Study the Bible for All It's Worth. That will give you a great way to study the scripture to make sure you do not cherry pick. So in the middle of his administrative duties, Daniel stops to pray, as we saw last week, as it was custom. How many times did normally Daniel pray? Daniel pray. How many? Three times. And last week we saw that was his custom. And I challenged you with a question. Do you think your life would be any different if you stopped to converse with God three times a day rather than consult Facebook three times a day? Do you think your life will be any different? Now, Daniel consulted God three times a day for over 70 years. No wonder he was strong. He was no snowflake through the tests of life. He didn't wilt. So in, having said that, though, in times of dire circumstances, I'm going to tell you, young people especially, listen carefully, it may appear that God has forgotten you. 70 years later, you can imagine why Daniel could think that, right? 70 years. In our lifetime, that seems a long time. But God may just well be preparing you, as he did for the people of Judah, for a brand new beginning with him at the center. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. Because God, I believe, wants to say this to you today. He says that this, I made you for a purpose, and I have a plan for you, but it is not automatic. You can miss my plan for your life. In fact, many people miss God's plan and his purpose for their life, because there are two key factors involved, and we see this here in Daniel. Number one is God's timing. You may want to write that down. God's timing, and secondly, my praying. Two things in balance here. God's timing and my praying. Timing. God says, my good plans for you have a timetable. A timetable. What was a timetable here? Very clearly. It will be 70 years doesn't matter whether you're praying in year 36. You should be. But he says, in year 70, it will happen. 
When the time is right, he says, you're going to pray. So importantly, what we see here is God's sovereignty and our responsibility in prayer. God says to you this, I will do what I intend to do when I'm ready to do it in my timing. It won't be a moment too soon and it won't be a moment too late. But you must pray for this to happen. And the Holy Spirit will motivate you to pray if you're listening to him. In line with God's will. Because he said in 70 years. You must pray though. You must pray for it to happen because you have not. Because you ask not. That's the other part of it. James 4.2 on the screen there. So Daniel believed in the power of prayer because he believed in the power of God. Second step, to pray when you're in a crisis. Firstly, listen to God. What does his word already reveal? Second, focus my attention. This is a principle of concentration. Very easy to say, difficult to do. Daniel focuses on the Lord. How vital this is. How easy it is to be distracted. So reading the, uh, he was reading the scripture, as Daniel did, before he prayed, can help you and me focus our thoughts and guard against distraction. So here's a principle. Daniel read the word of God, and as a result of reading the word of God, then he moved to step two, which is praying and concentrating. Daniel 9.3, the first part of that verse is, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him in prayer. This is a good tip in communication, whether you're at work, if the boss talks to you, turn your face, look. <laughs> I remember when my kids were small, we'd be sitting there and I'd be reading away a story and have one that side, one that side sometimes and be reading this story and next minute one of them would want to talk to me and I'd just keep on reading the story and if I wasn't listening, what they'd do is they'd reach up and they'd grab my face and go like that <laughs> I got the idea and this is just so small same point and you can do this with God too, I mean sometimes I mean, I go, God So I gave my attention to seek the Lord by prayer. Daniel's focused attention was first of all on the scriptures that led him to earnestly seek God and pray a prayer of confession. Point. The Bible strongly urges you and I to seek God. Amos 5 4 says, Seek me and you will live. There's life in no other. None other. I am the way, truth, and the life. Life. There's life in no other. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me. Those who seek me will find me. Seek me. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will find me. Now look at this next part. When you seek me with all of your heart. All of your heart. I'm not kind of, well, I kind of like to know God. In my spare time, between my crazy schedule and the pace of my life at work, maybe I'll get some time. No, no, it says, when you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. 
And again, a verse from the New Testament, very well known one, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. It says, God rewards those who earnestly, that's an old word, earnestly seek him. Now, a lot of difficulties and stresses that come into your life and mine are the result of not seeking God and his interests. Anytime we ignore God and we don't seek his direction or his help, God backs off and says, okay. And lets you or your family or the nation or your business reap the consequences of your decisions and sins. This is captured in Hosea, chapter 5, verse 15, where God's speaking. He says, okay, if you don't want me, I will return to my place on high until they, that's you and me, acknowledge their offense. We didn't see God. What, what was it? We didn't seek him. We didn't ask his opinion on that decision. And acknowledge your offense and feel their guilt and seek my faith. So I'll leave them alone. He'll never force himself on you. And require me earnestly, saying, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn so that he may heal us. He has stricken us so that he may bind us up. In other words, folks, God is not mocked. What a man sows, a woman sows, that shall they reap. We didn't ask God's guidance or his permission, so we kind of just did whatever the heck we liked in our lives, which are a gift from God, in our marriages, in our families, we just did whatever we wanted, in our businesses. And finally, things start to fall apart. What we thought was going to give us great satisfaction actually doesn't. And it starts to get bad, and we start to get very dissatisfied and very uncomfortable, and not long before we have a crisis and we long for change. Folks, I've noticed we do not change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat of a blowtorch on our blessed assurance. Then we'll move fast. Two questions as we finish this point. Is it possible that some of the pain that you're going through now is because you didn't seek God and you just went ahead. Or you didn't seek God and you just sat there and did nothing when he was saying, move, get on it now. And you procrastinated. Here's the second question I want to just challenge us all in them. What are you really looking for God to do with your 70, 80 years you've got on earth? in and through your life? Is there something that you feel you'd like God to do in and through your life? If there is something there, are you serious enough? Is it important enough to spend some serious time seeking God about that? Or have you gotten distracted lately? With the pressures, the cares, the worries, the anxieties of this world? Folks, if you do seek God, it'll save you an awful lot of pain, heartache, and discouragement. Third step, in a crisis, and you will need these notes someday, so fill them out however God speaks to you. Third step is plead with God earnestly in prayer. 
Now, in Daniel's prayer for the nation, he confessed firstly his own sin. And by the way, I don't know another Old Testament guy who lived such an amazing life. Such a, I mean, he wasn't perfect, but let me tell you, as far as I can see him, please correct me if I'm wrong. Write me on the communication card. I don't see any sin that Daniel is recorded to have done in the scripture. I know he did because he's not perfect, but I don't see it recorded. My point is this. Even in that state of wisdom and God-honoring, he still confessed his own sin. So there was something there. And then he later starts to change that from my sin to our sin and we. In tough times, you know what I found, guys? It is easy to blame others and excuse our own actions. Daniel did not do this. Daniel 9.3. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition in fasting. See, pleading is done with emotion. It's not a mundane, perfunctory request. Let me ask a question. Does tone make a difference in making a request? Absolutely it does. You can say the right thing with the wrong emotion. It doesn't get the desired effect. You may have had the, the experience as a younger kid being tickled by an uncle or your father or mother. Now at some stage, you were laughing and then all of a sudden you're starting to run out of breath, right? Do you remember those days? And, you're going, and if you said, excuse me, please, could you stop tickling me? That would not have happened. You go, stop tickling me! Right? Because you're dying for some oxygen. Daniel 9.4 gets after this emotion, which I think we've lost. He says, I poured out my heart, bearing my soul to God. God, my heart is broken. Have you ever done that? had a gut-wrenching prayer with God like Jacob did wrestling with God when was the last time you poured out your heart bearing your soul like the scriptures say I can probably suggest the last time you did that is when you were in tremendous pain Tremendous pain. This was pleading with God, earnestly crying out to God. And what was Daniel pleading with God for? God, let us go back home. Just as Jeremiah predicted Babylon would fall and the people would plead. That's another prediction that came to pass. Jeremiah 50, verse 4. Then... They, my people, will come weeping. There's the emotion. There's the emotional pleading. And seeking the Lord, praying earnestly. They will ask the way to Jerusalem, and they will start back again. Now that is a phrase of hope. They don't know the way to go back home, but they're going to ask God, and in tears, they will start back again. Now New Zealand needs this prayer. 
We have gotten so far off where we started from. We need to go back to God. You need that prayer. You need to pray that prayer in your own life because you've gotten so detached because of your busyness. You've gotten so distracted with, as Jesus says, the cares of this world. You don't even know way to, your way to find your way back home. You need to pray that prayer for your life. You need this prayer for your family. Our families are so out of whack. In the old days, you may have had one thing you did after school. Today, I know some people that go to seven or eight things a week. They are running their kids ragged. And it's good to be in soccer. It's good to be in tennis. It's good to be in squash and ballet and all other stuff. But folks, we get a, and you get a big pass of that, but you get an F, a fail. If you do not take similar amounts of time with your kids, passing on line by line, day by day, your Christian faith, what good is it if they're the best soccer player in the world and lose their soul? What good is that? There's zero, zero value. What good is it if they're the best businessmen in the world, the smartest cookies in the world? But they haven't even been grounded in the basic facts. And by the way, who is responsible for that? Parents, teach your children in the way they should go. Grandparents, help out. You have capacity. You have experience. Share that with your grandchildren. Does, any, does that even concern you? Does that grip your heart? If you don't have children and you don't have anything like that, does anything grip your heart and bring a lump to your throat and say, this is not right? Does anything ever bring tears to your eyes? If the answer, honestly, is no, then perhaps that means that you've pulled away from the heart of God because God's heart has not changed. It's not something we go, ooh, and gossip and tweet about and post about. It's some things God will place on your heart that he wants you to action, to get about, and that you pray with emotional not just a religious blather. Jesus got after the Pharisees about this. He said, don't even think you'll be heard for your many words. He didn't say that. You pray with emotion. God, we need help in this area. Number four. This will help get you focus. When you're in a crisis, to demonstrate your seriousness. Demonstrate your seriousness. How do you do that? It lets God see how important this is to you. And Daniel mentions three ways to demonstrate his seriousness. Two of them were cultural customs, okay? 
And I'm not recommending those. They are cultural. If you read them in context, one of them is universal. One of them is a spiritual discipline that you can use today. Here he goes. And I started fasting. I went without food. That's what it is. To show my sadness, my seriousness, I put on rough clothes and sat in ashes. Now, I'm not suggesting we do the last two because they were cultural. Fasting, friends, is essentially a way of, pri- of prioritizing. I mean, you think about how long you spend eating in a day. And what you're really saying is rather than using that time to just sit and eat, I'm going to get serious and I'm going to pray about those issues rather than eating. It's a way of saying to God that he is more important than everything else and even the things that give us life and pleasure will be subservient. It says, God, I'm serious enough about this to go without food. Daniel 9.3 in the ESV version, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Now friends, all through the scriptures, old and new, Moses fasted before he received the Ten Commandments. The Israelites fasted before they went into major battles. Daniel fasted in order to receive guidance from God. Nehemiah fasted before he began a major building project. Jesus fasted. Remember Matthew 4.4? 4, 4? Remember that in the, in, in the wilderness? The very first Christians fasted during decision-making times of their lives. And that was simply a way of saying, God, I am serious about getting your will and getting your blessing on this. Now, what are the benefits of fasting? Number one is it demonstrates the depth of your desire with praying. Two, it gives you more time to pray. Three, it releases supernatural power. How do you say that? Because Jesus said that. He said, some things only happen through prayer. Here's a big conjunction. And fasting. Both have to be true. Prayer and fasting. Fifth. In a time of crisis, thank God for his love and his promises. It is not all gloom in the tomb. This is a blip in trillions of years. Remember that. Perspective, godly perspective. The Bible says when you ask, ask with thanksgiving. And you and I are to live all through the scriptures, living with the attitude of gratitude. And the fifth thing Daniel does in his prayer is he reminds himself of how good God is. How gracious God is. How grateful he is to God. Here it is, Daniel 9.4. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed. Here he goes. Illustrating this point. Oh Lord, you are great and awesome. You are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love. In other words, he's saying, I'm flaky, but you're not. I like to remember it this way. People are fickle, but God is always faithful. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Now we need to remind ourselves how gracious our God is. 
And again, Daniel 9, 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Sixth and finally, when I'm in a crisis, a really good thing to say is, Holy Spirit, show me what is between you and me. What is, what is causing a problem here? What, how have I offended you there? And humbly confess my sin. If you ask him, he will show you. He'll lead you into all truth. Now, God does not listen to prideful whiners, but he does listen to humble confession. Notice, Daniel doesn't come to God with an attitude like the self-righteous Pharisees. Rather, complete contrast, he comes as the pictured tax gatherer that Jesus talks about, beating his breast, acutely aware of his and his people's sinfulness and for the need for a holy God's mercy. And God responds to humility, but he resists the proud. Those who say, well, what do I need to confess sinful? Daniel 9.5. He says, but we have sinned and done wrong. We, notice the pronoun, we have rebelled against you and scorned or ignored your commands and regulations. In other words, we've rejected your laws. We've made up our own morality. What you said, you made male and female People are swapping the truths around. They're calling right, wrong, and wrong, right. They're confused. God made them male and female. Now that we've rejected your laws, we've made up our own morality. Well, I can sleep around if I want to. In fact, the New York Times came up with a new word the other day. I nearly choked on my iPad. They used this word called monogamish. That means most of the time I'm monogamous. But every now and again I might not want to be. So I'm now monogamish. I have made out my own morality. I've rejected your laws. He says here, we have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors, leaders and parents, in other words. Convert that. And all the people of the land. Then it gets very specific. You, Lord, do Always do what is right, but we have brought disgrace on ourselves. We've been unfaithful to you. We haven't stood up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. I'm thinking particularly of the ones that sit right here and we murder in this country babies who cannot speak for themselves. That is not what God wants. And this is here. Lord, you always do what's right, but we have brought disgrace to ourselves because we've been unfaithful to you. In other words, we've committed spiritual adultery. Being unfaithful to my spouse means I am committing adultery. And here, he says, we have committed adultery. We've given our hearts to something else which actually belongs to you and you alone. We gave our love to someone else. We gave it to something else other than you. He goes on, 9.10. We paid no attention when you told us how to live. You told us what is right and what is wrong. Don't be bullied by the politically correct people in your life. There is right, objective right, and that's anchored in God. An objective wrong, anchored in God. 
What's morally good and what's not is derived from God, not, not cultural opinion. We haven't, pa- we haven't paid, any- we paid no attention to you when you told us how to live. The clear teaching that came through your prophets. In verse 13, it caps on. We, we kept at our sinning, never giving you a second thought. In other words, we're just doing our own thing. That's what the scripture said. Each man has turned to his own ways and they've wandered away. We never gave you a second thought, oblivious to your clear warning. So you had no choice but to let the disaster loose on us. Since we persistently and defiantly ignored you. Wow. Daniel knows they don't deserve the blessings of God, but he appeals to God's mercy and grace. In verse 18, Oh God, we are praying to you. He's saying we don't ask because we deserve it. We don't. But because you are merciful, not because we've done right. Then lastly, as we move here, I'd like to notice God's response to Daniel's prayer. Daniel 20, 23. While I was praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, desperately pleading, there's the emotional part of it again, with the Lord, Gabriel. Who was Gabriel? An archangel. How many archangels were there? How many archangels? Anybody going to give a guess on that one? There were three. Who were they? Michael? Gabriel? Who's the third? Yes, Lucifer. Lucifer was created. God did not create Satan. He created Lucifer, who used one of his perfections, which is free choice. We're diving deep here. We've gone on a way rabbit trail. It was just something I thought. So God did create Lucifer, who misused his free will to become Satan. That's how we end up with Satan. Maybe you should do a message on that sometime. Here we are. While I was praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, desperately pleading with the Lord, Gabriel said to me, Daniel. Here you go, Daniel. You listening, bud? Here he is. Daniel, I am here to help you understand God's plans. The moment you began praying, a command was given. I am here to tell you what it was. For God loves you very much. Note here, he kept on praying. And God wants to say this to you today. God has a promise for all of you people. It's to God's people everywhere. And this is one that you probably read many times. Second Chronicles 7.14. If, notice it's conditional. If, good logic. If my people who are called by my name. Question, are you called by Christ's name? Are you a Christian Let me put it another way. The Bible says this. One day, you'll stand before my Father in heaven. And if you stood up for me, I'll stand up for you. If you haven't stood up for me, I will not stand up for you. Are you a Christian? If my people, who are called by my name, will, one, humble themselves. That means confess. I blew it. I screwed it up. I was doing my own deal. Two, and pray. Not a perfunctory prayer. 
Um, well, God forgive all my sins. No, 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 no. If you're serious with God, this is what you need to say. God, whatever there is, please would you show me what it is and I'll confess that exact sin to you. So if he says, looking at pornography, you need to name it. If he says, gossiping, what's gossip? Actually, gossip is a sin. It is a sin. Name it. God, I am so sorry. I, 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 I couldn't help myself, but I need your Holy Spirit to put a guard at my mouth. Please help me not to gossip. Gossip means if you're not part of the solution, shut up. I'm not part of the problem. Keep out of other people's businesses. Humble myself, pray, seek my face. This is serious. Seek my face. Ah. When I've got time, when I've got my homework done, when I've got my project finished, when I've painted the room, when I've finished washing the car. I remember one day I was sitting there, I was polishing my, which is something I never do. When I first got married, I used to wash a car every week. Crazy, eh? But now I wash it every four months. But one day, I was sitting there washing the car, and all of a sudden, I had this, I wasn't even thinking about the Lord, now this sense of the moment, stop and pray. I left everything, went into my room, and I prayed. And it was the most amazing time that I just felt the Lord wanted to pull me aside and pray for a specific circumstance. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit pulling you out. That may mean stopping what you're doing and pulling out. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face seriously, and turn from their wicked ways. You know, God, I didn't even seek you when I took that new job, which is owning my life. I made a bunch of dumb decisions and now I'm paying for it. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. All of the elements of Daniel's prayer are contained in those verses in this promise. Let's pray. God, we thank you today that you are an amazingly gracious God. Would you please help us stand strong and make a habit of having earnest conversations with you and reading your word daily? Holy Spirit, help me to see that your plan for my life involves your timing and my praying. And that many times I have not because I ask not. Lord, would you teach me how to focus my attention upon you? Because God, it is just so easy to get distracted in this world. I want to turn my face towards you. Teach me how to walk with you. Authentically. Not half-hearted. And Father, I do realize that the tone of my request and conversation in my heart are often as important as the words. Thank you, Lord, that my prayer doesn't have to sound beautiful. I will sound great. It just has to be honest and real. Holy Spirit, would you soften my heart for the things that break your heart.
And maybe some of you today need to say to God, God, I've wandered, and I'm not as close to you as I have been in the past. I want to start back home again today. Help me to demonstrate my seriousness. Even be willing to go without food to show you as a symbol, as a sign that I'm serious about what I'm praying for. It's not a throwaway prayer. It's not a junk mail request. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for your promises. And thank you that you are so faithful when all around me is often so fickle and flaky. You are consistent even when I'm inconsistent. Thank you that when I come to you and I humble myself and I admit that I have done wrong and I've fallen short and I admit my rebellion, that you don't punish me, but you will forgive me and you'll wrap me into your embrace. God, we ask you to work in our hearts and lives. And today, if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your life, why don't you say, Jesus Christ, I ask you to come into my heart and my life right now. Would you make yourself real to me? I want to learn to trust you. And I want you to be the manager of my life. I pray this humbly in your name. And everybody said, Amen.